We're going to uh, turn this morning to the uh, Galatian epistle again and to chapter 3. But before we do that, we're just going to read some verses from uh, the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews and uh, chapter 5, the end of chapter 5, moving into chapter 6. But it uh, relates to a situation very similar to the situation that we find Paul dealing with in the Galatian epistle. So Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 11, and the writer to the Hebrews, whether it was Paul or whether it was uh, someone else, we're not uh, clear about that, but uh, we know that it was anointed, we know that it's God-breathed, we know that it's the word of God. We read from verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain, talking about Jesus, because you are slow to learn. In fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk not solid food anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment and God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gifts, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the coming age if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the son of god all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace may the lord add his blessing to the reading from that word and then we turn to the galatian epistle which we if you have been joining us you will be coming familiar with now we're reading from chapter 3 Paul's letter to the Galatians <clears throat> Paul says from verse 1 you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before your very eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified I would like to learn just one thing from you did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith 
and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And these are the verses I want us to look at this morning. Verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. May the Lord add his blessing again to the reading from his precious word this morning. Many of the Jews of uh, Paul's day found the gospel of free grace challenging, having been brought up on a legalistic, ritualistic, work-centered religion taught to them by their religious leaders, by the scribes, the Pharisees, etc. They find it difficult to accept salvation by grace alone. They wondered, they kept thinking about the way that they've been brought up. They were programmed, if you like, into an idea of salvation through works. And the Hebrew epistle, and the reason I read from the Hebrew epistle this morning is that the Hebrew epistle again the Hebrews there, and it was written to the Hebrews, it was written to a Jewish congregation, some of them were Christians, some of them were not, some of them were struggling with their faith and struggling with the ideas of salvation apart from works of the law, they were struggling with that, and Paul gives the Hebrews, the Jews, who were not Christians at that time, he warns them about being undecided, about being on the fence, about having one step in the law and one step in, in grace, or trying to do that, if you like, warning them that the consequences were dire. Having had the opportunity to be saved, having uh, tasted the goodness of God, as we read there in chapter 6, those who were still undecided and had not made a commitment to Christ if they rejected the gospel, there remained no hope for them because there is no hope outside of Christ, but only a fearful prospect of judgment. And that's what Paul is saying in the sixth chapter. He's talking to the undecided. He's talking to those who were not Christians amongst the Jews who were on the fence and those who were in danger of having tasted the goodness of God and heard the message of the gospel that they were, it would in the end turn away and not receive Christ as Saviour and Lord, not come by faith and accept him as Saviour and Lord. And now Paul is writing to the Galatian church, and we've been uh, going through this uh, wonderful letter that Paul writes to the Galatians. And here in the third chapter, Paul is giving evidence from Scripture about the gospel of grace that he's proclaiming. 
He, in the first two chapters, you remember, he was defending his own position as an apostle. In chapter 3 and chapter 4, he defends the gospel of free grace that he's preaching because these group of Jews, the Judaizers, have come into the churches in Galatia. They have unsettled the people. They have infiltrated the churches and they are insisting that salvation is not by grace alone, that Jesus is not good enough, not enough, but you have to keep the Jewish law as well. You have to keep the traditions, rituals, the good works, etc., and claiming that they are the ones who have the correct message. They are the ones who have the ancient message. They are the ones who are truly uh, proclaiming the gospel or the so-called good news. <laughs> Jesus is part of it, they say, but Jesus is not the whole answer. Many Jews considered grace to be such a, a new concept. They struggled with the idea uh, here. Um, but the Apostle Paul makes clear that, 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 uh, that the gospel was, uh, the ancient gospel actually goes back long before the law ever came into being. 400 years before the law of Moses and 14 years before circumcision uh, took place, Abraham believed God. He believed God would give a son. He believed God would send a saviour. He believed that saviour would be a shield and his very great reward. And Paul here in those verses that we were reading last week gives clear proof for the authenticity of the gospel that his gospel is the ancient gospel, that the gospel of free grace came before the law of Moses was given and declares that righteousness is on the same principle for the Christian as it was for Abraham. Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. And there in verse 9 we read, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Those who have faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. In John's, John's Gospel, in chapter 8, verse 34 onwards, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders there who are challenging him and who do not believe in him. And Jesus replies to them here. He says, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, says Jesus, you are free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father abraham is our father they answered if you were abraham's children said jesus then you would do what abraham did as it is you are looking for a way to kill me a man who has told you the truth that i heard from god Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the work of your father. You belong to your father the devil, says Jesus. 
So these Jews who were so religious and so um, so uh, clear in their minds, as it were, about about the law being the way of salvation, Jesus says of them that they are of their father, the devil. We used to sing a little chorus. I was thinking about it as we were. I was uh, going through this. I used to sing a little chorus. Some of you will be far too young to remember it. Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And, uh, you know, years ago we used to sort of march around the church in Sunday school and uh, sing in that little chorus. Now, you know, some of those little choruses are very important because they're, they're choruses that we remember and the truths in them are very important truths. And here was a very important truth. Yes, the, as youngsters we were, you, we were enjoying it, but we were also learning the fact that Abraham's way was the way of salvation. It was a way of faith. It was a way of faith in a saviour who was to come. And uh, thank God for those choruses. And uh, if you're too uh, young to remember it, well, I don't know if anybody wants to revive it for you. Anyway, but we're going to continue now in the verses 10 to 14, where Paul gives four scriptures uh, considering now the condition of the Judaizers, he has really explained and shown that the that the law was not did not offer a way of salvation. But now he's showing the condition of the Judaizers, these people who are holding that salvation is by works. And you know there are a lot of people today who are just in that same position. They are holding the idea that salvation is by works. You talk to them and they say, well, you know, I think I'm going to go to heaven. I've lived a good life and I've done some good things and I've been to church and I was baptized perhaps and this and that, they'll say. And they believe that they're going to heaven because of their good works. They say, well, yeah, you know, I like Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus. I, you know, etc." But they've never accepted him as their savior. And uh, the apostle Paul now gives four scriptures considering this condition of the Judaizers outside of grace and under the law. Paul tells us there in verse 10, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You see, these legalists were living under a curse without realizing it. They go to church. They say their prayers. They complete their rituals. They talk about Jesus. These Judaizers talked about Jesus. They sang about Jesus. They thought Jesus was a good man. They thought they admired him. They accept the admiration and the piety from, for, for their piety by other people. And yet the Bible says that they were unable to keep the law of God in all its entirety and therefore because they were unable to keep the law of God in its entirety they were under a curse and there are a lot of people like that today they go to church they say their prayers they talk about Jesus they sing about Jesus but they're relying upon their good works they're relying upon their religiosity and they're living under a curse without realizing it. 
Romans chapter 3 verse 10 tells us there is none righteous, not even one. We have all sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. God's law is a standard of perfection. And Jesus Christ was the only person ever to have kept the law and he kept it without fault and he kept it on our behalf. Romans 10 verse 4 tells us that Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Jesus kept the law for you and for me. He kept the law in order that we might be forgiven. He kept the law in order that we might be clothed in his own righteousness. The book of Deuteronomy, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, and I, I hope you will do in your Bible studies, if you read it, you will find there the exacting demands of the law. And anybody reading those exacting demands of the law in Deuteronomy cannot possibly think that they could keep the law perfectly in every respect. And there at the end of Deuteronomy, after giving us all these institutions, all these laws, all these regulations, all these commands, there in the end of Deuteronomy 27 verse 26, it says, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Everything. Jesus illustrated in the, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 the impossible standards of God's law in, the, in, in that sermon. Jesus said that you're, you're guilty of murder not just if you stick a knife in someone or, or shoot someone but you can be guilty of murder if you are angry against them in your heart. You can commit adultery not by taking someone's wife or behaving in a, in a wrong way outwardly, but by having that attitude in your heart, by having an adulterous attitude, by looking upon someone with adulterous thoughts in your heart. And Jesus went on at the end of that wonderful Sermon on the Mount saying, unless your righteousness exceeds out of the scribes and the Pharisees and they were meticulous in trying to keep the law in every aspect, in every detail. Unless you, your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never, says Jesus, enter into heaven. It's that clear. And in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul tells us that even when he tries to keep the law and he tries his best and he's doing what he can, he says he sees another law at work in his members. He explains that what he would like to do, he cannot do, and what he wants to do, he, he can't do. He says that he would not have understood what the law was if it had not been, he would not, could not understand sin unless it had not been for the law which exposed and showed what sin was, and he understood that he could never keep it. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus told a, a parable about two sons. A father has two sons and he tells them to go into the vineyard and to, uh, and to work in the vineyard. Uh, and one of the sons, he says, uh, uh, I will go, but he doesn't go. And there's another son who says, I will not go, but later on he changes his mind and he goes. And Jesus said that the son who didn't go to start with but 
went later on, he, he relates that, that son to the tax collectors and to the prostitutes who believed, he said, and repented at the preaching of John the Baptist. And, and the other son who said he would go but didn't go, and he, he, he said that they're like the religious leaders who were, who were just taught. Religious leaders just talked about obeying God. Uh, and the prostitutes and the tax collectors, when they heard the message of the gospel, they believed it. You see, this first group, the, the, these tax collectors, these, the, these sinners, these no-hopers, as it were, they knew that they could not keep the Lord of God. They, they got an understanding. They, they looked at the Lord of God and said, we can't keep that, we can't do that. And they felt hopeless and they looked at themselves and they, they saw their sinfulness and they, they saw their attitudes and, and, they, and they saw the mistakes they made and they thought they were no help, no hopeless. But along comes John the Baptist and he says, but you can repent and God will forgive you. And, and, and they said, we can do that. We can do that. We, we can repent. We, we, we have been no hopers, but, and we have been sinners, but, but if the message is repent and, and you can be saved, then we will do that because we can do that. And so they repent and they get saved, but the Jews, they, they, they say, oh, well, you know, we, 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 we're just talk. We're just talk about it. And we'll keep talking about it and keep talking about it and keep talking about it, how righteous is we, how righteous we are. And Jesus said, they're the ones who were lost. They're the ones who were lost. Jesus said, it's the sick that need a physician, not the healthy. You know, it's, it, it, it's easier when you, when you know you're a no-hoper. It, it, it's easier when you know that you've, you, you, you've got no plea before God. And when you hear the message of the gospel and it says, but you can repent and you can come and God will forgive you. What a wonderful message that is. That was the message that the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners and the criminals of all kinds they knew they could come and they did come they weren't just talkers there's a lot of talkers today a lot of people with high sounding voices a lot of people with uh, simpering if you like a religious message but they're not going to get to heaven by that simpering and religious message. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not a smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to say the Lord of God is wrong. He said, I've come to fulfill it on your behalf. He didn't say, do not keep the Ten Commandments. He said, keep the Ten Commandments as much as you possibly can. He said, but you will never do it. And salvation is apart from that. Salvation is through grace. Salvation is through what I will do on your behalf. I will keep the law of God perfectly for you. And you will be saved through Believing in that righteousness. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. Isaiah the prophet got a right understanding of it. He said, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me 
with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. He said, I'm saved and I'm clean and I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. In an Old Testament sense, because, of course, he was looking forward towards the cross. Now, so Paul's second quote here in this uh, little passage that we're looking at here, and remember that Paul is talking to mainly here to the Jews who are confused about salvation by grace alone. These quotes here in, in this passage are familiar to the Jews. They're familiar to the Judaizers. They're familiar to all who understand the Old Testament. So Paul's second quote, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, is the full quote. We read there, see, he is puffed up. His desire is not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. Now this relates to the prophet Habakkuk, who lived in difficult times during the reign of a wicked king, Jehoiakim. From, he reigned from about 608 to 597 BC, and he was a, a bad king. He was an, uh, a, a, an incestuous man. He was a adulterous man. He was a, an evil man. He was uh, wicked in, in many ways, and um, and he was surrounded by, by wicked people, people who were getting away with all kinds of, uh, of evil. Uh, they were exploiting the needy. There was strife. There was contention. There was violence. And Habakkuk the question is, why God allows this to happen? Why do you allow Judah to, to suffer in this way? Why do you allow this wicked king to reign? Why do you allow, allow these wicked people to behave as they are behaving? And God eventually answers him. You can read it all in the book of Habakkuk there, but he answers him. But he says, I'm going to send the, uh, the Chaldeans and the Babylonians, and I'm going to send them to punish the wickedness of Judah. I'm going to teach them a lesson. I'm going to punish them through the uh, Chaldeans and the Babylonians. But Habakkuk then asks the question to God. He says, why are you sending the wicked Chaldeans and the wicked Babylonians to punish the Jews, when at least on an outward way, the Jews appeared to be more righteous than the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. And he waits on his watchtower and he waits for God to answer him. And then later God answers him and later God explains to Habakkuk what he's doing. He explains that the Chaldeans and the Babylonians themselves will be punished. God's wrath will fall on everyone who is guilty. And Habakkuk's prophecy describes Habakkuk's walk of faith and uh, progressive revelation there. Uh, judgment comes on Judah, but it does not touch him. And he learns to walk trustingly and peacefully by faith. He's tempted Habakkuk at times to question He's fearful at times about what's going on around him. He doesn't understand everything that's happening. Why do bad things happen to good people, etc., etc.? But he learns a secret here. He learns to walk by faith. And as he walks by faith, he can walk through all those difficulties and all those problems because his eyes are on God and his eyes are through the eyes of faith. He's trusting of God. And that famous 
that famous quote from Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17 he says although the fig tree shall not blossom neither shall the fruit uh, neither shall there be fruit on the vine uh, the labor of the olive shall fail uh, and the fields shall yield no meat the flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stall yet will I rejoice in the Lord I will joy in the God of my salvation so there Habakkuk is living a life of faith a life where he can prevail even in the most difficult circumstances and that's part of the message to the Galatian Christians you are suffering difficulties you are suffering persecution there are attacks on you from all directions but you can walk by faith the faith that you had in coming to Christ keep that faith and keep walking by that faith and keep having your attention upon Jesus and you will be victorious in that walk and that's the same that's the same thing that God is saying to you and to me today that is not only not only coming to Christ by faith and accepting him as our savior by faith but it's walking by faith even in circumstances that we don't understand even when things around us don't go to plan, even when good th bad things happen to good people, even when we are fearful and afraid and our plans seem to fall into ruin, even when bad people prevail. Paul says the secret is that we can live by faith. We can prevail by faith. And we can keep walking by faith and keep having our eyes upon Jesus and we will prevail as we do that. Paul portrays the Christian life with all its trials and difficulties in this way. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3. We read, you will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. Perfect peace because... Their minds are stayed on you because they trust in you. Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 tells us rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever your questions are today, whatever your concerns are today, however your life is in turmoil today, the secret of peace is to put your trust in God and to allow the peace of God to rule your heart and your mind. Many people today, they have questions that are far too big to answer. They, 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 they ask question after question after question. They get bigger and bigger and bigger. And they get more unhappy and more unhappy and more unhappy. Where am I going to find peace? All these questions, I can't find answers to them. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. I don't need to know the answers. All I need to know, all I need to have is a peace of the one who knows all the answers. And that's what God offers you today. And that's what God offers me today, the peace that Jesus has in knowing everything as a God of all he offers to you and to me as we walk with him we can walk peacefully we can walk joyfully and we can walk in a sense in victory even in seeming situations of defeat now Paul's 
third quote, time is going here, Paul's third quote was Leviticus 18, and here we were, the Lord said to Moses, he said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God, you must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, he's talking to the Old Testament Jews, uh, you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. So this was the situation. This was the, uh, the agreement, if you like, between God and his people, that the people of Israel would obey the Lord of God and God would bless them and they would live by those laws and they would live by the, the blessings of those laws, but they would also live by the curses of those laws. And Paul makes clear here that there is no mix or match between grace and works. You cannot have a combination of both. You cannot, as I said earlier, have one foot in the works camp and say, well, I'll just keep uh, doing good works just in case they're important and I'll have another foot in the Jesus camp where Jesus is everything and Jesus is the complete saviour. You, you cannot do that. You cannot mix and match between grace and works. You cannot have a combination of both. And this was something that the Judaizers really needed to understand this was the Judaizers' position. They did not deny Jesus, they did not deny good works. They believed that he had a part to play in salvation, but they did not believe that he was the complete saviour. And again, I would say to you this morning that there are many, sadly, people who call themselves Christians, living in, working in, or uh, worshipping in Christian churches, and they do not believe in salvation by grace alone. They do not believe that Jesus is the perfect answer. They keep talking about works and they believe in works. They believe you can fall from grace and lose your salvation and all that which indicates very clearly that they believe in a works-based salvation. Now Paul's last quote here is in Deuteronomy 21. Paul says here in Deuteronomy, quotes from Deuteronomy 21, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And he points out to the Jews here, to the uh, Galatian Christians, to the Judaizers, that Jesus became a curse for us. In ancient Judaism, criminals were executed, usually by stoning. And they were tied to a post or a tree where their body would hang until sunset as a visible sign of God's rejection, as a visible sign that they have broken the law of God and deserve to be punished in this way. It was often, if not always, a consequence of failing to live up to the standards of God's law as quoted in the book of Leviticus. Paul tells us that Christ has redeemed us. He has bought us back. He has become the curse for us as he hung upon that cross. He bore your sin and my sin, the mistakes we made, the breaking of God's law. He bore all those sins upon his body on the tree. Some Christians say, well, you know, if Jesus bore all my sins, it doesn't matter if I sin anymore. Do you realize every sin that you and I commit today, it was all hung upon that cross at Calvary. 
Jesus bore all of that. Any Christian that thinks that it doesn't matter if I sin doesn't realize that that sin had to be paid for. And that sin was paid for 2,000 years ago upon that cross at Calvary. So here in closing, Paul's defense of the gospel, the gospel of free grace that he preaches, the gospel that is being challenged by the Judaizers who say that Jesus is not enough. Here is his defense. His defense was that, first of all, the ancient uh, way of salvation has always been through faith but he shows the conditions of those who were trying to live by works deuteronomy 27 26 shows the impossibility uh, the impossibly high and perfect standards of the law that uh, are required by god if you were to keep it habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 shows the only way to live and please god in this complex and confusing world is through faith leviticus 18 verse 5 shows us the grim reality of living under the law with any disobedience being dealt with without mercy and without reprieve and finally deuteronomy 21 verse 12, 23 pictures jesus the perfect sinless lamb of god picture bearing the full penalty of the law on our behalf under a curse on our behalf may god bless his word to our hearts this morning and may we take courage and hold firm to the gospel of free grace that was so costly bought on our behalf let's pray our loving heavenly father we thank you this morning for your word we thank you for the apostle paul we thank you lord for this wonderful letter that he wrote to the galatian church we pray that we may be a people who are strong in our faith who are clear in our faith who are faithful in our faith who walk through this world with our eyes upon jesus and when we can't see when we cannot understand that we will understand this that the God who saves us is a God who keeps us. And the God who keeps us is a God who keeps his promises. And the God who keeps his promises has a home for us in heaven. A glorious place one day where we will hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.